Here's a summary of Raising Resilient Kids by Dr. Rhonda Spencer Huang in about 30 seconds. So Dr. Spencer Huang is part of a community that's known for its health and longevity. So she interviewed people that were over 100 years old to ask what uh, made them resilient and how we can pass it on to the next generation. And they said things like get outside more, no food on the fly. No, yeah, no fast food. Rest is very important. And get this, going to church is important for your health spiritually and emotionally. And one surprising way to re be resilient is to embrace gratefulness. So now more with Dr. Rhonda Spencer-Huang about her book, Raising Resilient Kids. Let's talk a little bit more about your methodology and how what made you, inspired you to write this book? Probably about eight years ago, I, I had, my youngest was one, you know, six, and, and then probably eight if I do the math with the standard deviation a little bit. But um, so they were young and I'm, I'm a public health professor. So I had programs, not only doing epidemiology, but going in the community and doing programs. Well, about that time, um, we were landed with this designation that my community is this fountain of youth, this resiliency capital, this you know longevity hotspot because of how many centenarians we have, and and we just don't have you know a lot of uh, disease. However, we went to the doctor's office. My husband has high cholesterol, high blood pressure. Then the then I got this you know, and we're vegetarian. We bike every day. We're outdoors. And then I got the call. Oh, by the way, you have high cholesterol. Thought what? We're vegetarians. We have <laughs> cholesterol. That's not possible. And then the pediatrician told me, Oh yeah, and by the way, your your son, he needs to work on his weight. So I thought, here I am living in this you know fountain of youth place. People come from around the world, and I get called by the university. Can we have some people from Germany come and check out your house and see in your pantry? And so I had to clean up. And so it was kind of this uh, collision of events where I decided this isn't the way to live. You know, I need to find a better way for myself my and, and my friends who are also parents. We're kind of running, bringing the candle at both ends. And I just thought, no, I'm going to go and start interviewing these centenarians that people want to see and find out. What advice do they have for us young parents, right? And the first one I started with was, she's now 108. She's the oldest in Loma Linda, and she's my husband's great aunt. And so that's that's how it came to be. And let me tell you, epidemiologists, we don't like to get out and meet people. We're kind of a behind the scenes kind of thing. <laughs> like, I will look at your data and tell you, so this was completely out of my element to do this. But I just felt a call in my life that, Nope, it's time, time to go. And you're going to write this book eventually. So that was it. Okay, so let's jump in. Uh, I love at the, at the beginning, first uh, part of the book, you talk about one of the keys to being resilient is going outside. And let's talk about this, especially in the summer. I mean, I've got a 14 year old and a nine year old. They love playing computer games. They love video games. I did too at that age. So I'm not not necessarily knocking that. But as a parent trying to figure out what to do, and even my three year old would rather maybe sit and watch a, a show on Netflix as opposed to go outside. So you talk about conquering resistance. How do you get your kids to actually, I don't know, are we ever going to get them excited to go outside or is it just <laughs> just get them outside? Well, it, it starts with just kind of making it a habit and going. And you are going to get a lot of resistance. And I, I tell my mom friends, you're going to have to get thick skin and dad friends too. You got to get thick skin and you got to go. And and we have to be part of that, right? It can't just be, you know, get outside, go enjoy it. I've got to be here on my computer. You have to kind of go with them. 
And, and one of the things we realized is finding things that they enjoy outside is that great connector. So my son, um, because of the pandemic, we found out, wow, he really likes to mountain bike. And um, of course, you know, we've been to the ER a few times, but that's okay, <laughs> right? We, we get out and, and the bonding is much greater than, than we have when he's at home in, on his computer um, and in his room. So uh, you just have, so one of the keys is starting early. The three-year-old is more pliable. And when we add friends, of course, right now in the pandemic, you know, depending where you are, it may be harder, but when you add friends and if you want to do it with them, finding something that you can connect, whether it's, you know, some may like photography. In fact, they have, you know, even competitions, you can enter your pictures, right? For kids. So finding something and being creative um, will go a long way, but it's hard at first. It's hard to change. Yeah. And I think uh, this is another thing that I think is hard to change in your chapter talking about you know, resilient kids or balanced kids, that one of your rules is no food on the fly. So does that mean we can't just stop at the McDonald's drive through anymore <laughs> if, if, if we're hungry and it's around dinner time? What does that look like? So, yeah. And one of the things is I say, it's not an all or none. So the idea is it's a journey, right? You're going to have seasons in life. And towards the end of the book, I explain, you know, my son got his nose crushed in, in basketball and we ended up at McDonald's because we're going to the ER. He's going to need surgery, you know, and things fly out the window and fast food flies in. And that's okay. You'll have times like that. But the majority of the times it's got, you want to try to slow that down, right? Because the speed of life of which we're living, we're not meant to live at that speed. And there's, um, I call it a magic that happens when you sit down together as a family and eat, right? There's this special time where you can bond and it may only be 15 minutes by the way my kids eat, right? Maybe 10. <laughs> I don't know if they taste the food, but this is that time. And so it's starting to schedule that. We have to, we have to look at our, our schedules and try to protect that time around the dinner and, and come together. Or it could be around your lunchtime right? Whatever is, is important to move from like me, where I had straws and napkins and forks and you name it. I had it in my mobile car, right? We would go and, and food could come in and I was prepared. That's not the way, you know, a better way is sitting down, slowing it down. And I have a saying, because now I have my niece and nephew come and they hate to eat and sit at the table. And they always tell me, I'm not hungry. And I say hung, hunger is not a requirement to come and sit and eat or come and sit, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have we have um, conversation cards. Uh, they have studies showing the more your children know about you and your childhood and the things you went through, the stronger they are to withstand when the storms come in their life. Mm -hmm. So sit down and share and you're going to reap benefits beyond what you can even measure. Another thing that I thought was kind of especially in this, in this time and age, you know, it kind of ties in with the whole no food on the fly thing, just slowing things down. And you have a whole chapter just talking about rest yeah. and uh, you talk about how to strengthen your rest. So how do we, how do we do that? Where do we start in, in, in our crazy world right now? Well, and, and one of the things I have to tell our, our parent friends even more is watch out when the COVID starts receding and things start opening. And you're going to have this feeling inside of you of, my word, we've lost a year. Yes. Let's catch back up. And, and you know, three, three <laughs> like activities now is six, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have got to get these kids back on track and make up. That's, that's our way, right? This is, 
And that's not the best way. So we all have to first realize that, and you're going to be bombarded with advertisements saying, do all, have all, be all. And mm. by the way, get your foot on the fly because you need to do all, have all, and be all. Mm. That's not the best way. You got to be prepared. That's what's coming. So one of the things I say is take a look at your calendar and um, it sneaks up on you, but you're going to notice your calendar is j- probably jam packed, probably even more than like the airlines. Okay. You're going to be triple booked. So one falls off, you're like, well, not a problem. I have three people waiting in the queue to, you know, fit in or, or activities. It's just craziness. That's not the way to live. So first thing to, to get rest is even more looking at your schedule. You have those negotiables, right? And non-negotiable. Non-negotiable are the things you're going to have to do. You have to get to work. You have to take the kids to school and you, you need to eat. But you're not going to need to do all of the chess tournament, the soccer tournament, the badminton, the tennis, the fencing, the Khan Academy, mm-hmm. everything in between, right? Mm-hmm. So you're laughing. Yeah. You're probably thinking about you. like, oh, no, I got to let go of the chess tournament. But these things, you know, you, they start to eat up your time and you need a little bit of downtime and rest. And that's where kids develop um, a lot of the grit and resilience and even their creativity right? You need a little boredom in your life. Um, We had a lot more boredom when we were young because you had to go out and you had to um, invent games, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, now this game costs $9, right? And I tell them like, no, you're going to go outside. We're going to make something. So the first part of rest is downshifting your scheduling and, and recognizing that. Hold your calendar and look and see do I have any empty space? How does that look? And then you need to start saving the space around mealtime. And I even recommend you take one day a week off from, from work, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, Saturday or Sunday, one day where you're connecting with family and your faith. And um, I, ideally, you know, at church, if you can, if not, you know, family and your faith and God, it's important. Otherwise, you're, you're, you're headed for, you know, disaster by living like this speed. Hmm. I, I did like the, the fact that you did talk about in the chapter uh, where, you know, connecting to faith and everything, going to church. And I think a lot of people maybe were going back to church after a year and a half. Um, but talk a little bit more about, you know, the importance of having that weekly connection, even though, you know, especially when you've got kids like you and I, and sometimes getting them all ready to go. And then oh, someone can't find their shoes. And then sometimes you just kind of throw your hands up. Oh, we're late again. We just won't go. You know, it's so easy to kind of get out of the habit. So what's so important, you know, from a kind of a psychological standpoint, you know, we know the spiritual aspect, but you know, the other benefits. So there is um, healing benefits. Um, science scientists have studied the health benefits of connecting, especially not just for adults, but for children as well, right? This kind of um, community that helps them offset the stress and depression of daily life. So they actually have scientific studies that look to see and compare um, people connecting with the faith community more on a regular weekly basis versus those that don't connect at all. And there are studies showing indeed for adults, um, it offsets a lot of the depression, the heart disease, things like that. And and it's readily apparent, right? It's across multiple studies. So um, if, you know, you don't have that in your life or it's very weak, right? I encourage like strengthening that. Um, stepping up. Another thing is the centenarians. 
this was a big part of their life was this connecting with church. I mean, my word, these people walk, some of them hours, like a couple mm. hours they'd walk to get to church. Hmm. When, when, when I was talking with the church board, they said, we can't have church service outside because no one will help. And I was thinking, we have to change that mentality of we show up, you feed us, you, you give us the word and then we leave, right? Mm -hmm. There's no kind of um, helping hand. And so I encourage people when the pandemic is lifting or even before really stepping back up and giving and helping that church, finding ways. You may not teach Sunday school or Sabbath school, right? But there's other things that need to take place. So that and that, this helping hand, that also is linked to health benefits. So, um, and you're going to, you're going to reap that back, not only in your own health and your family's health, but when the storms come and they hit, you know, my, my own father-in-law passed away January 3rd from COVID and the church is the one that reached out, you know, and, and was supportive hugely during this mm -hmm. time. So you, you, you want this relationship. It's going to help you in the good times and the bad, but you have to invest. I, I love that invest. I think, um, yeah, it's something that I'm trying to work on too. I, I'm kind of one of those Christians where I go to church and then it's as soon as the, uh, during the final prayer, my kids are like getting the stuff up and getting ready to run to the car. I'm like, you know, <laughs> it's Monday. You, you don't just want to go to church, right? You want to connect with others too. That's really important. So you, you mentioned a little bit um, just a minute ago, talking about helping hands. You have the helping hands principle. Does this mean um, we can make our kids do chores and how do we do that? Is, is that kind of what, what, what it's kind of going towards that, that this is a good thing? Chores are good. And Absolutely. We, we kind of laugh. I think when we were young, we had many chores. Mm -hmm. um, well, most of us, unless you had, you know, live in help. But most of us had uh, many chores we had to do. And from my research, I was looking to see chores is on the decline, right? This, yeah. The, so nowadays, you know, the parents, not only are we parenting, doing our jobs, but then around the house, we frantically go and cleaning and doing all of these things, you know, and it's really taken upon us. However, scientists know there's benefits that come from helping with the chores um, for the child. You're planting seeds um, and it's these seeds of help helping others and, and giving to others um, more. It's offsetting this feeling of among them that you're the center you're, you're, we're going to, we're going to maneuver around you and the child is the center and the focus. No, it really should be the family unit. Okay. And, and when you start, I laugh because most of the chores, like my friends will say, we do chores. My, my son, he does his own laundry and he even folds it. And I was thinking like, that's good, but mm -hmm. you want to shift from this idea of you're asking, well, you're begging them mm -hmm. to do the chores, right? do the laundry, don't mix the red with the whites, mm -hmm. you know, do your laundry and, and help. You want to move from that to they're going to start to help with other, maybe the towels for the family, right? The cooking and your three-year-old, it's going to, they want to help you already. Um, they really want to jump in and help, you know, so using that to encourage them to help. Then you want to get them to where they're going to offer to help without you saying, right? Initiative. So part of this chores is teaching them responsibility, initiative, and then leaning in and helping the family. So eventually they will take initiative and maybe they will start helping you sweep the floor or helping you vacuum or helping to pick up after other kids to then, you know, that extends to your community, right? 
looking around. And we have, I mean, some of the centenarians I interviewed, they were amazing starting at such a young life with um, parents that were missionaries. Hmm. They'd go in the field and the stuff they did to lend a helping hand. One centenarian said eventually that translated to her own daughter. She became a physician and her own daughter is holding an anesthesia bag while she's in Africa doing surgery on someone I think who, who had, you know, either a miscarriage or a gunshot, but there was no one else around. She's hmm. the only physician in this village for miles and her daughter needed to hold the anesthesia bag. Right. Hmm. So, so you train, training them to lend in and help a hand and you are planting seeds also to what they may become in their life, right? Their purpose. So though we want to do it all. And with the three-year-old, my own three, when my own was three, I cringed because I knew it's going to be more work for me in the end to clean up after mm. they live that. So, but you have to kind of lay that down and say, um, we're planting the seeds. And by the time she's six, my daughter now can make pancakes for everyone and, mm. and they love this. They're born with that. So we just have to get past this mindset of it's not going to be good. It's not going to be perfect. And that's okay. It's the spirit. So one more thing. And I think maybe again, with the last year and a half and everything we've been going through, this is something that everyone is doing and they don't necessarily know how to kind of put a label on it. But you talk about one of the ways to raise resilient kids is to embrace gratefulness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really, you know what, with with the fallout that's coming from COVID and even during COVID, Mm. I mean, um, some days I I was seeing 5000 cases a day in one day. Right. We're like, how do you how do you solve this? And so sometimes I had to just step back and say with my family, what you know, we have positives in our life. What are those things? Even despite the storm that's coming, if you can hold on to those little things and the blessings and to focus on them it helps to off shift the despair and the feeling of hopelessness, right? You do have things in your life. And I say, um, we started a jar where we're putting in for the whole year and we're going to read it at the year's end of everything, all the little blessings, um, because it's real easy to overlook and forget them. Right. And so we're going to count them and look at them at the end of the year, but um, scientific studies show doing this is one way to help you cope when there's trauma and stress in your life is, you know, focusing on those little things. And it can be, um, right now I'm grateful for the wildlife because while we were in the pandemic, it's like a timeout, right? We, Mm -hmm. America, we took a timeout and now the wildlife is coming back in places we had not even anticipated. So there are little things to be, um, you know, grateful for despite all the trauma. If you've recently welcomed the bundle of joy into the world, congratulations, it's so exciting. Uh, But it's so easy to just be completely engulfed in uh, raising your child that you kind of lose yourself. And so Randy Zinn has written a book for you called Going Beyond Mom, How to Activate Your Mind, Body, and Even, Yeah, Business After Baby. She is in the 30-Second Book Club next week.